being so tall, I get this all the time. I greet you with love and peace in Jesus' name this morning. It's a joy to be with you. I feel like we're somewhat connected in that uh, I, we worship at Gospel Haven with a few of you, and um, I think it was in your younger years as a church, we, I remember uh, worshiping with you over at the Koblenz building, I believe it was, so I'm thankful this morning that your heaters work. But I'm with Chris. I love snow. I, I don't care for the cold as much, but to have snow, we got to have cold. So this, this is a dream winter for us, for me, and enjoying it very much. Really enjoyed our time together this morning in Sunday school and the praise and worship. My heart was just uh, revived, refreshed, and inspired as uh, especially the song that brought us to the river to meet Jesus. And another one of my favorites is the song Ancient Words, and it just never ceases to amaze me that the words penned and spoken by God so many years ago, they're ancient, but they are alive, and they're living, and they're new to us today. I had a shot of nostalgia stab through me as uh, you spoke of and prayed for Galen's. We really enjoyed and cherished having Galen's with us there in Thailand at the church where we pastored. And uh, Galen led our praise and worship as often as I, as, uh, not as often as I wanted, but uh, I really enjoyed when he led our praise and worship there. And so, I don't know, if he's just live streamed, Galen, if you're watching, I Wish you a happy birthday, too, and uh, bless you with a good cup of coffee somewhere. Wish I could enjoy it with you. So, and we also have, part of the reason for the nostalgia is, uh, is homesickness. We have, of course, we love Thailand, and, but we have a son and a daughter-in-law and two grandsons living in Thailand, so uh, we uh, would love to go visit sometime soon. This morning... A few thoughts to preface the sermon is something that I've thought about and I'm reminded of at times that um, when we become followers of Jesus, when we, when we give our lives to Christ, we become Jesus' followers, and we take on, we, we become image bearers. And so we are to be little Christ's. And God designs that we reflect His character and influence others to follow Him uh, since the beginning of time, and especially when He since ever since He called out a people to be a separate people, to make known His ways to the world, to draw people to Himself. Um, that is our calling and opportunity, privilege, and responsibility. And so you are, whether, whether we're in the kingdom or not, whether people are in the kingdom or not, they are, all people are influential to some extent. That takes on a, a higher degree of importance as we become followers of Jesus, and we are to influence others in the ways of God. 
And you will think at times through the sermon today about influencers, influencers in your life, influences in your life. What are things that influence us? And more importantly then, how does my life influence others? Last, in the last election, I read of a, um, an account somewhere out east where a candidate that was running for an office did not uh, respect his opponent very highly. He was of uh, the opposing party, and he was caught by a police officer at night. Him and his girlfriend, I think, were out vandalizing the, the signs for his opponent. They were taking them down and tearing them up. And um, I, he did not like the influence. And he realized that the campaign signs are influential, and he didn't want that. And uh, I think his influence decreased. He was also, it was discovered that he had no driver's license, and I believe his car, car the plates on his car were uh, invalid as he was running for office. We are, we are influential, whether we're on the positive or the negative side of, of influence. I want to call our attention, again, in, in preface to the sermon, in, uh, to Joshua. Joshua was a man of influence, of, of powerful influence. Joshua was the successor to Moses, and in Joshua 24, he's giving this call, this passionate call to God's people, the Israelites. Some of them were serving other gods. They, however, had, uh, they had completed the conquest of the new land, the new country, and Joshua, in his closing, in the closing days, or it appears here perhaps days, months of his life, he says to the people, he says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord... At least make a choice. Choose today whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. That, those words and that challenge was a powerful influence and a very effective influence. Because if you flip a few pages over to Judges chapter 2, in verse 6, it says, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. War was over. Now it's time to start building homes and building businesses and and, um, establishing your homes. And the people... This is the effect of Joshua's influence. In verse 7 it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, 
who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Isn't that powerful? That's, there is, this one of the highest desires of my heart is that in spite of my weaknesses and my carnality and my, just all my bumps and, and flaws, that somehow, that my life, I know this is your desire as Christians, my life and your life would inspire others to follow God and to follow Jesus. And it not only did they follow God all the days of Joshua's life, but all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. So Joshua's life had a powerful impact. And then, in verse 8, it says, And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And soon after that follows a verse that, I haven't researched all, all these verses, but to me it's, I say about this verse in Joshua 2, verse 10, is the saddest verse in the Bible. One of the saddest verses in the Bible. It is so sad. It says, and all that generation were gathered to their fathers. And that was Joshua and the elders that outlived Joshua. And then, and then there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. How tragic. Just let that sink in. It was the very next generation. Today, there are three points that I really want to bring out, and they, I'm not going to spend, um, go, go through them point by point, but they will appear throughout the content, the context, the duration of the sermon. The first one is the power of influence, and that conveniently is the title of my sermon this morning, the power of influence, number one. The second point is the importance of obedience to God, the importance of obedience. And number three is the danger of compromise. We read the Bible, we read the Old Testament, and we think, how can the people of God, how can God's people fall away from God so quickly? If you notice, Joshua was addressing the people. Um, he was talking about, he was in, imploring them to put away the gods that their father served on the other side of the river and put away the gods that they're serving on this side of the river, the, the pagan gods in this land and the pagan gods in Egypt. They had just experienced these mighty, powerful, awesome, wonderful deliverances and yet they went back to, to serving other gods. How, how can that be? Today I want to talk about two stories. And uh, both are in a pagan setting, pagan ungodly setting. And uh, God sends someone with a strong, powerful message for them. So turn to 1 Kings 18 in your Bibles. Now this is the story of or the account 
of the happenings during King Ahab's reign in 1 Kings 18. Now Ahab, unlike as a young boy and a youth, and I, I read these and I'm, I'm, I'm not really connecting the dots that these were God's chosen people. God's called out people. I, you know, I think of these as pagans, these kings, and they did such wicked, wicked things. But these were God's called out people. The remember, there arose a generation after Joshua that forgot God, and they forgot all the things that He had done for them. And so there were downward spirals in the years to follow, and there was revival, and then they would fall away again, and. And the, the setting today brings us to King Ahab. He was a really bad dude. He was bad. He was worse than... He was Omri's son. And Omri, his father Omri, as king of Israel, did worse than any king before him. Ahab's father did. So we, here we come to Ahab. In... Um, I'm going to read just a few verses to kind of introduce this. Um, yeah, verse 20, verse 30 of First Kings 16 says, And Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built, Ahab did, in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger then all the kings of Israel who were before him. Times were bad. The leadership was awful. Barely a reflection that they were the people of God. Building an altar to Baal and Asherah, the, the God, the, the, the male and female gods, and, and the things that they practiced were, were just absolutely despicable. So despicable, Asherah, uh, in, in Exodus God had commanded the Israelites to go into other regions and, and, and destroy the worship places of the Asherah, the poles and the, the, the um, places of worship, the temples. And um, because these were objects of worship that God says would influence, it would have an effect on his people. And so God wanted them totally destroyed. Well, here... Ahab is building uh, and worship, building monuments to and worshiping these these idols. Well, remember Elijah by the the uh, inspiration of God and the Holy Spirit declared a drought on the land because of the evil. And about three years later, we're going to come here and jump in in First Kings eighteen. Verse 1, it says, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Now Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. 
the famine was severe in Samaria. And then it narrates the, the uh, journeys of Ahab and how he met up with, or the journeys of, of uh, Elijah and how he went and met up with Ahab. We're going to go down to verse 16, 1 Kings 18, verse 17, sorry. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, O troubler of Israel? Notice the accusation. The one who had, by example and by, by command perhaps, caused the people of God to stray away from God. And he's calling Elijah the prophet of God a troubler. Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Elijah says, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house because you abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. So Elijah said, now go, ahead, go and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel. And the four, he wanted the prophets of Baal there. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezreel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Picture this. It says all of Israel came. Now, I, I don't know how many were there, but there were a lot of people there. Along with the citizens, the common citizens of Israel, there were the, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. They were gathered together. They had been disobedient to God, very disobedient. They were living in disobedience to God. They had been influenced by a very ungodly king. And now comes a prophet of God giving them the challenge and the call to return to God. And he says, we are going to have, we're going to test our gods. And, and this is one of my favorite Old Testament revival stories. He says to the priests of Baal, he says, we're going to bring in, just bring me two bulls. You guys are getting one. I'm getting the other one. You guys go first. And so the account here, if we're just, I'm just going to narrate through this quickly. They, the prophets of Baal, slaughtered the bull, put it on the altar, and they prayed to their God, Oh God, hear us. They started in the morning, and they went on and on and on until noon. And the Bible says that no one heard, no one paid attention. They're getting more and more intense. It says in verse 26, They took the bull that was given to them, prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. So this was going on for hours and hours, and they were, the God did not answer them. Elijah started having a little fun with them. It says he began to mock them, saying, Talk a little louder, for he is a God. Maybe 
He's meditating. Maybe he took a trip. Says maybe he's sleeping and you have to wake him up. And he actually says, maybe he went to the bathroom. Maybe he's relieving himself in verse 27. Oh, and they with a renewed frenzy started calling on their, the name of their gods louder and louder. It says they cried aloud and they cut themselves as was their custom. And they leaped, they jumped on the altar that they had made. The blood gushed out on them. What a grotesque, horrible scene as these probably demonic-influenced, if not filled, people were crazy trying to implore their God to answer as midday passed, they raved on until the off time of the offering of the oblation. This was now afternoon going into evening, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then, then Elijah said, it's my turn. Come near to me. And just look at the steps that, I, that Elijah took in pointing the people back to God. He repaired, last part of verse 30, he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. He took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he built a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seed. He put the wood in order, and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the, on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Do it a second time. Do it a third time. And they did it till the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. Everything that Elijah did pointed to God. He repaired the altar. He used the 12 stones. And those that were watching knew enough about who they were that they, I'm sure, thought about how badly and how sadly, how tragically they had strayed away from the ways of God. The 12 stones pointing to their identity as the people of God. He, did the, he built the altar the way God had designed for the altar to be built. And then he decided, or he chose that there will be no magic, no trickery, no smoke and mirrors in this. It will be known by the time this is over, it will be known that God is the only, the one true God. And he prayed at the time of the offering, verse 36, of the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, 
they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And it was judgment time. And Elijah said, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah. What is the definition of Elijah? Does anyone know the definition of his name? If you know it, say it. The people said it. The definition of Elijah is the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You will find that definition if you Google the meaning of the name Elijah. Elijah was a man of powerful influence because he was a man that walked in obedience to God and a man that did not compromise for evil. And that is a challenge. Today, what are, you know, we don't, we don't live in a box where we're untouched and unaffected by the, the evil surroundings of, uh, of the, the prince of the power of the air, of the evil in the world. You're not here all week together as a body, all cozy here, where you're not affected by the surroundings out there. You're not in here, you're not reading your, your Bible uh, all day, every day. We're out there. We don't, we, 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 our waking hours, a lot of our waking hours are out and about, rubbing shoulders, out in contact where there are evil influences. God's desire, I come back to what God's desire is for his followers, is that we are those that point others to Jesus and influence them. The, the ideas and the opinions that we hear need to be weighed in light of God's Word and then our choices made accordingly. We would never pair God with an idol. That would be blasphemous. But as I take an inward look I see ways that I can easily pair God with an idol. We, we, I invite you to evaluate your life with me this morning in light of God's Word, in light of this story, to see if, are there things in my life that I've paired with God and... If I have, if we have, then we need to repent. In the name of Jesus, stop the things that are coming between me and God, the compromises and the disobediences. And there are a few things I thought of that affects us as a church, and it's the prosperity gospel or it's legalism. It's cheap grace without repentance, it's counterfeit gospel where there's no discipline, there's no discipleship, and um, I call that cheap grace. In James 1 verse 27, talks about 
what will be the reflection of those that have pure religion. The term religion is used. And one of those is that, one of those three is that we keep ourselves unspotted from the world. And that comes by obeying God's Word, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and not compromising with sin. I want to close with a story of a, a, in about 400 A.D., you may have heard this story, a monk that was in a remote part of... Um, over there, somewhere far away from Rome. I don't know if, it, if, this, if the account says which country he was from. But this was a devout monk that in his one day in his prayer time, his name was Telemachus. You may have heard the story of Telemachus. He felt compelled in his spirit to go to Rome. He'd never been there. He'd heard about it. But God, God inspired him, spoke to him in his prayer that he should go to Rome. He didn't know why, but it took several weeks to get there. When he got to Rome, there was a lot of excitement in the city. There, was, there were a lot of people in the city that had come from outside the city. And he, caught, he was caught up in the excitement, and he found himself in the Colosseum that held 80,000 people. In the Colosseum, he learned that Rome had just defeated the Goths, and the emperor had called for a celebration, a circus, they called it, and games. And as he sat there, it didn't take long for him to realize what was happening. The, this sporting event was a gladiator fight. Now, he had heard about gladiator fights. The bishop and the, and the church leaders back where he was from would talk about these games and, and um, had spoken out against these gladiator fights. But a lot of the people in his country didn't believe it. They thought it was legend. And here, to his horror, he was in the Colosseum at a gladiator fight and he watched as the gladiators, the gladiators would be slaves and servants that, uh, that were captured, uh, and they would, they would fight, of course, to the death. They would fight with swords and knives, and, and um, one guy would kill, the guy who would kill the other one would meet another contestant, and, and they would fight until there were a lot of dead people in the, in the arena. They, uh, this, this practice, these games had gone on for about a thousand years. It's really sick, sick sport. The gladiators would come out, and they would. Uh, the emperor was was at these events, and the emperor was seated up in his high place watching. and And they would come out, and they would salute the emperor, and they would say, "We who are about to die salute you." And then the fight would begin. And this this happened. Telemachus was horrified, and as he watched the swords pierce the body, he said, "In in the name of Jesus, stop!" He got up. Of course, the fighting continued. No people didn't hear him except those that were around him. But he gets up out of his seat and he's screaming. He's yelling, in the name of Jesus, stop. He 
climbed over, jumped the, the, the barrier, jumped into the arena, yelling, in the name of Jesus, stop. The gladiators were, the two, the two that were engaged in their fighting were looked over and they, they saw this intruder. The people started cheering and laughing and, and they thought this was part of the show, part of the act. But he kept, he, he, uh, the different accounts say it differently. One account says that he stepped between the two gladiators, crying in the name of Jesus, stop. Another account says that the gladiators finally chased after him, and he was running away from the gladiators because the crowd became irritated because their fun had stopped. And they finally asked and called that, the, that they, they said, run him through. Run a sword through him. So, they did. The gladiators were, they pierced him, they stabbed him with a sword. Telemachus fell. And as he lay dying, his final words were heard throughout the whole Colosseum because it was so quiet. It had become so quiet that they heard his last words. In the name of Jesus, stop. Everyone was quiet and he lay still and the crowd was stunned. After some time, a man got up, silently walked out, and then another one followed him and then another and another Eventually, the whole Colosseum cleared out. And history declares that this was the last of the gladiator fights. The power of one man's influence. The result of one man's obedience... And a man that had lived his life, obviously, without compromising. We don't have the gladiator fights today, but there are practices in our society today that are equally as evil or worse. Sometimes I wonder if they would exist, these practices, if more would have stood up and cried out in the name of Jesus, stop. But I have to begin in my own life the things that I don't like to call evil, but I know they're not good fruits of one who has been called to the service of the king. To myself, I have to say in the name of Jesus, stop the compromise, stop the disobedience, stop the worship of lesser gods, stop living in bondage. And as followers of Jesus then, we need to evaluate what evils God calls us individually to confront and follow the command of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, stop the killings, stop the immorality, stop the deception, stop the fear-mongering, stop the lies. But I fear that too many times I fear 
the voices of Ahab, the voices of the enemy that say, you troubler of our society, you troubler of our community, you troubler of our way of life. Don't believe the lie. We have the message of gospel and that of the gospel, and that brings peace to those who accept it. Jude says, But you, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. God bless you as you proclaim the goodness of him that has called us out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. And God bless you as you you live your lives and continue faithful to him. I'm going to give the time back to the worship team this time.